everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Wild Gravity Travel Cast. Um, my name is Jim, and going to bring you the latest news here today in our special feature later today. Um, we won't be having Brian along, but we do have Brent on board. He's the co-owner of the site, and he's going to be talking about, well, we're just going to do some like random interview stuff, maybe some touch on some things I've talked about in past episodes in some of my questions, and maybe some thoughts on the recent news and activity going on around the industry uh, during most of the off-season. So he'll be along in the special feature after the huh, small commercial break. going to move right into the news of the week. There's not a whole lot to go over, but they are decent talking points. Um, first, I'm going to move right through this one pretty quick. The Seven Seas Food Festival announced the second half of their lineup. Uh, some people were kind of pumped. Very random artists, but very unique artists. Uh, Jay Leno is actually coming to Seven Seas. That's the name that sticks out the biggest to me. Uh, of course, he used to have his Tonight Show. He has a really cool car show on TV. If Anybody likes cars or like neat little shows. Uh, he's done several great episodes. And then um, Macy Gray is also on the lineup. Not a big fan of Macy Gray, but just interesting to see her coming back to the performing circuit and coming to Seven Seas Food Festival at SeaWorld Orlando. Uh, next up is our Laugher of the Week, uh, at least my Laugher of the Week. In a recent interview, Josh Wallach who we know is from Skyplex, behind the project Skyplex Orlando. He owns Mangoes, America, or Orlando's number one club to overpay for food, overpay for terrible food, and so on. Uh, he is announced that Skyplex has been scaled back. Would you imagine that? Um, it, the dirt hasn't even moved on the site. The project has been scaled back and ha cut in half, but says it will be done by 2021. Or 2020, I think it was. I don't even know. Um, it's, But it's not far away. And for not having even any footers or concrete in place, it's still a pipe dream, folks. Let's just let's just take it for what it is and accept that Skyplex, it probably isn't happening. Um, I'll eat my words if they do. But as of right now, I just don't see Skyplex happening at all, honestly. Uh, Josh Wallach's just going to keep doing that because he kind of likes keeping to keep hearing his name on TV. He's got a couple of things. Like I said, he's got mangoes. It took him two extra years to build a parking garage. So imagine how much longer it will take him to get a 500 foot tall coaster off the ground. And literally it's not, hasn't left the ground. Like I said, it's just dirt there on international drive in Orlando. So again, I'll eat my words and Josh, if you happen to ever listen to this episode, I'm sorry, but you haven't, produced anything that you've promised with skyplex and you're already late and just a bunch of betrayal and that goes back from the time when uh he was paying orlando bloggers you know like theme park review and others um he was paying orlando bloggers to say good things about skyplex so that it would pass in the courts and he uh literally cut checks to bloggers um pixels at the parks which is no longer with us theme park review um and a few others uh got literal checks from Joshua Wallach to help support the cause of getting the project off the ground, which it still is not. So I guess at least they got their money. That's what's important. But that tells you the characteristics of some of the bloggers in Orlando right there willing to take money just to uh, promote themselves and, you know, make a profit. 
Anyways, uh, our big news story of the week is Gwazi 2020. And of course, we all knew before March 1st that the RMC was coming. However, we now know a little more about Gwazi. We don't know much. Uh, we've got some fanboy style uh, renderings of what the whole layout may look like from the couple snippets we saw in the video Bush Gardens released. Um, that layout is not confirmed. If you see it floating around the internet, don't believe it. It, I mean, it could be close to accurate. It could be decently accurate, but I wouldn't take it for that is the design. Bush Gardens probably doesn't even have it yet. Or they're just teasing because they want to focus on Tigris, the Skyrocket 2, which is no, not unique in the least bit because they've already got two of those in other parks, but it will be unique to Florida. Uh, it is not the first launch coaster, as the video said. Uh, or Cheetah Hunt was not the first launch coaster, as the video said. And um, so that's uh, that's that. But what we do know about Gwazi RMC uh, in 2020 is we now know that it will be the tallest hybrid coaster in North America. So, of course, we have Steel Vengeance right now at 205 feet tall. So that means that this coaster, obviously, would be expected to be taller than 205 feet. Uh, kind of a interesting thing that they would just say that and nothing else it will also be the steepest and fastest hybrid coaster in the world um fastest that's okay sure great um steepest is an interesting one to me because steel vengeance is already at a 90 degree drop so are we looking at a situation where it is going to drop beyond 90 degrees a 90 degree angle like a 92 or 93 degree angle drop basically inward and honestly, I don't know that that's good for the structure that is quite aged that Bush Gardens never took care of. Um, and I don't know that it will be that comfortable of a ride, but we'll see. Uh, a good friend of mine, Scott Schaefer, who owns Upstop Media and produces some great work and content. Uh, he said that, honestly, he doesn't know if it will be better than Steel Vengeance, but uh, because of airtime, and it's more of like what your preferences are. This is going to be more probably geared towards like a Joker style layout when it comes to RMC designs. It'll be like a Joker where it does more twists and turns, um, but maybe not a lot of airtime. And Steel Vengeance is obviously an airtime machine, and to me, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, but we just have to wait and see what the actual renderings, renderings are going to look like when we get them. I would imagine we wouldn't see anything until August at the very earliest, but we'll have to uh, wait and see what happens with all of that. So that about wraps up our news. Coming up after the break again, we're going to have Brent on board to discuss uh, several different little topics. Just going to kind of do a quick interview session with him and get his thoughts on a few things happening around the industry and uh, see what he has to say coming up after the break, so stay tuned for that. You're listening to the Wild Gravity Travelcast. So I am here. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Brent, uh, who is co-owner of wildgravitytravels.com, and he's kind of our back-end support structure. We, of course, had him on a few weeks ago to talk about the uh, his trip to Dubai. And... Though we can't say where Brent works, um, we can say that he has a firm grasp on all the happenings of the industry. 
much like myself. And uh, he has some thoughts and opinions that I may differ from my own. Uh, so we're just going to do a quick interview session, talk about a few things, and see what his thoughts are. Welcome uh, back to the podcast, the Wild Gravity Travel Cast, Brent. It's good to be back. Awesome. So, uh, first, we'll start on a really fun, positive note. Uh, what has... So 2019, I mean, Dollywood's opening in literally like two weekends from now. Uh, you know, Carowinds is opening the weekend after that. And then the season is pretty much upon us as we hit April and then go into May. It's full throttle for a lot of the parks. Uh, what's got you, whether it be new or existing, what's got you pumped up for 2019 at the regional parks or even the Orlando or year-round parks? Um, really, I think the one that has hit me the the strongest, um, I do believe Max Force, as long as that weird hump right before you go up the, the first hill is not there, as it was in the POV that they are released with, I think that is going to be an outstanding coaster. But I think Copperhead Strike is going to win this year. Um, it just looks like a very fun coaster. Uh, Mac typically builds amazing rides, so that is the one that's really um, hitting me. is probably going to be the best single edition. With that okay. said, Dollywood is adding an entire area, so I do believe Dollywood being my home park for you know the greater part of my life, I think that's going to be an amazing addition to Dollywood. Definitely, and I think. Uh... We're going to get more excitement as we learn about what Wildwood Grove Phase 2 is that was teased in a couple off-season events this year. Absolutely. Um, one thing I'll ask you about Max Force, Do you are you worried that it's too short? Because, I mean, we see the video and the, the POV itself is like 30 seconds long, and it brings to mind something like Top Thrill Dragster or Accelerator, which is literally just launch, do one thing, and then and then you're back at the station. I believe that definitely could be a negative against the ride. Um, I try my hardest not to judge anything until I've actually ridden it, um, even as going as far as usually not watching POVs. But I, that could be a definite negative in its, its court. Okay. And obviously you said uh, that you think Copperhead Strike wins the year for coasters. Uh, we've got another one that... Of course, all of the Orlando fanboys who barely make it out of Orlando, let's be honest, um, are raving about, and that's the Hagrid's whatever long seven-word name of a coaster coming to Islands of Adventure. And a lot of people are saying that that could be the best overall experience and coaster, making it the best coaster. Um, I mean, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, and I know that you really aren't either, but what, what is your opinion on that versus Copperhead Strike? being that that is an Intamin versus a, if, versus a mock. If you do factor in the overall experience, the theming, the, the ride itself, and the storyline, I'll give you that it definitely could be the better big box experience. However, I think the coaster-to-coaster coaster comparison, I believe Copperhead Strike is going to be better. Right, and uh, I know a few people will appreciate us mentioning the intimate versus mock reliability factor in that too. Uh, you know, we don't know how often uh, 
it's going to break down. And Universal's had some Harry Potter coaster issues in the past, uh, like vehicles crashing through doors on a certain bank coaster. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. I will um, say it, it is an intamin. It is going to go down. But overall, it's probably going to be a good ride. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, okay, so it's been only a couple days. Uh, it's sinking in. Again, it's probably getting overhyped because of where it's being built. What are your initial thoughts on the Guazi RMC coming to Busch Gardens Tampa? I'm happy to finally see something happen there. First and foremost. But, um, again, I try to reserve judgment until I actually ride something. I think it's probably going to be a really good ride. I've heard people comparing it to be going to be better than Steel Vengeance. It could be. I'm not going to say that it is or isn't because it's on a piece of paper right now. Right. You have, no one's ridden it. Yeah. <laughs> no one's seen it, really, in, the, in running. So it could be good. It could be mediocre. I don't think it's going to be horrible. It's an RMC. None of them are absolutely atrocious looking at you, Togo. <laughs> um, I mean, we could say that Alan has probably ridden it virtually on, on No Limits, but... <laughs> okay, I will give you that two people on the face of this earth, maybe slightly more, maybe up to 10, including some Bush... Um, Garden, oh, true, yeah. Park staff have virtually ridden it. Right. And, but no one has literally put a butt in a seat and said, oh, this is freaking amazing. So you've seen a few RMCs. Uh, one thing I ask people a lot, or have asked people a lot um, on social media and otherwise is, what do you think? Just look at that structure, and you've seen what RMC's been able to do with other structures, Mean Streak obviously being a massive structure to start with. Do you think RMC can build something better than Steel Vengeance with the Guazi structure? Like, without adding anything to it, just building on what's there, can they do something better than Steel Vengeance? In theory, yes, they can. Anything's possible. Okay. Uh, all right. But uh, can I add on to that? Yeah. So it it is possible to do something better than Steel Vengeance with that structure. Alan Shiki is an amazing guy that has some amazing design concepts tucked in his brain. I think what might limit that is number one, the actual condition of the wood and how much work that. RMC and SeaWorld Parks, Bush Gardens are willing to put into it. And number two, the bigger fold is how much money they're willing to put into refurbishing instead of just adding on to. Right. Okay. So uh, last week, my special episode was, or my special talking point was on Cedar Point and all of the news we got out of Winter Chill Out. Um, what was the biggest win for them do you think that they've announced at winter chill out or before that and what do you think is your like your biggest worry as far as like what we saw and heard out of winter chill out i mean there was i know there was a lot there two restaurants several new entertainment options moving the steel vengeance characters to what i still call millennium island but is now going to be called forbidden frontier um 
among other little things. What, what do you think, what's your opinion on that? I don't know that there was any singular win. There was a lot of good capital improvements across the park of adding new restaurants, refurbishing old ones, moving some stuff around to increase guest flow into other areas. But nothing stood out to me like, whoo, big new adventure. Okay. Anything negative that you took away from the news? Uh, no, I mean, it seems like a a bounce year. You're bound for a Cedar Point. Bouncing from 18 into something really big in 2020. Possibly. That's true. Um, what do you think of the idea that the corporate uh, heads and the talking heads have thought about a 24-hour day at Cedar Point? In theory, I think it sounds like an amazing thing uh, for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people like night rides, and not a lot of people go at 3 in the morning, and not a lot of people are going to go at 3 in the morning, except those that are really diehard Cedar Point or roller coaster amusement park fans. So it could turn into something profitable um, or interesting for them to do. I don't see them doing it a lot but it could be a good um, marketing you know gimmick if you want to call it a gimmick to get through the year i mean disney used the gimmick what four or five times before they gave up on it so yeah there's a, a lot that would go into that um just the one ride um, off the top of my head that is going to you know play a huge part in that is dragster dragster is not going to run for 24 no. hours straight. Right. And you think about their high, their higher level of safety and maintenance um, that we uh, have always seen from Cedar Point and from the Cedar Fair Parks in general. You know, they like to inspect their rides every day. How are they going to do that if they, they run 24-7? So that, that was I one mean, thought that I had. Yeah, they legally have to. By the state of Ohio, they have to inspect them once a day. So not every ride is going to be open for 24 hours. Right. So, yes, the park may be open for 24 hours, but I'm sure, and I'm assuming, um, that they'll do just like Disney did. And, all right, Millennium um, is closed from 3 to 6 a.m. Or, you know, concepts of that across the park while right. they do inspect. Or not everything is going to be open. I don't would not expect both Planet and Camp Snoopy to be open the entire night. Right. I mean, because you're not going to keep your kids up late, so... <laughs> exactly. And, um, I mean, I wouldn't expect Corkscrew, just throwing out an example, not a wildly popular coaster. I could see them not opening that um, beyond the, the normal operating hours. Right. I mean, you could use that to fill in... That's a good idea, too. You could use those smaller rides, and you could rotate out and then let Millennium and Dragster take their inspections during the day, during the middle of the day, so that they could operate through the night. That would be a... And I'm sure, again, they've talked at length on all of these concepts and what they would have to do to keep the Ohio law, keep the safety standard up and high. Oh, um, without a doubt. So we'll leave that to them. One more quick thing on Cedar Point, and, and then we'll move on. Uh, brief 
reaction to the Steel Vengeance changes, uh, moving, removing the joysticks and adding the uh, zippered pouches. What, what are your initial thoughts on that? Um, I, I think that people need to be responsible enough to not pull their phone out on a ride. So, and by the same token, I th believe that people need to be responsible enough to wear appropriate clothing that keeps their phone and all of their items inside their pockets. And if they can't do that, they shouldn't bring them on the ride. With that being said, zipper pouches are okay. It's going to add a few seconds to each dispatch while the host inspects the zipper pouch in addition to the lap bar. But you're going to make people happier than strip searching them and making them leave everything in a locker for a two-hour wait because, let's face it, everyone plays on their phone while they wait. Right. And any thoughts on the joystick handles? Um, it really, it, I have no opinion on that. It's, okay. They were nice. They helped people get in and out, but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. Um, so one more, well, one more little brief topic that's kind of based on past episode stuff. I discussed, uh, I don't know how many episodes or which episode it was. I discussed my opinion of the best coaster collections, just off the top of your head. What is like, what is in your opinion, what's the most overrated coaster collection and what's your favorite coaster collection of the parks? I don't need like a top 10 list or anything like that. Like I droned on and gave uh, our listeners in another episode, but just like, what's your, what do you think is most overrated? Start with that one and why. Most overrated. Um, I, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head. The most overrated okay. collection. Um, I mean, there are some, definitely some overrated coasters. But I All think right. that even with an overrated coaster that plays into a good collection of within a park. Right. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite collection then? We'll just move straight to that. Favorite collection probably I mean, be... Uh, I, I want to say Cedar Point or Magic Mountain. Okay. Because they just have a diverse collection. Um, definitely throwing Canada's Wonderland in there too. Just a diverse collection of, you know, different kinds of rides, launching, inversions, right. speed across the board. I, I will agree with Canada's Wonderland. Um, my only opinion there on Canada's Wonderland is they need to get a little more diverse. They've gotten a little stuck on that B&M hype train that people love to ride. And B&Ms are great coasters. I have nothing against them. But they now have, what is it, three in the park? So they just need to, uh, I think it's time to look towards something like a Copperhead Strike that could make everybody happy. Uh, maybe that is coming down the pipe and fun little speculation there. So, and Canada's Wonderland has a great overall ride collection. I will say that that's probably another episode uh, you guys will get to listen to hear me drone on about. But overall ride collection, Canada's Wonderland is a great collection because of those flat rides. And their flat ride collection is just on point. Like it beats... It beats Cedar Point or any other park you could go to, in my opinion, for flat Their rides. Their flat ride collection is the best on this planet. Yep. So, And they've bought some really nice models from Zamperla and, and others. But 
uh, didn't honestly know Zamperla could make good, thrilling flat rides uh, and smooth, thrilling flat rides that I would want to ride over and over again, despite not really liking the concept of it. So they've definitely improved on older thrill ride ideas. Uh, so shout out to Zamperla for that. So that leads me to my final talking point with you today. Um, you work sort of alongside the industry uh, and you see the industry on a daily basis and read about the industry on a daily basis at your job. Um, what is your opinion? Just just a brief starter. What is your overall opinion on the state of the theme park amusement park industry? Across the board or are we looking at a specific region? Um, I would say let's just go with like North America. Let's go let's go with just our, our like U.S. parks and, you know, all of the general parks that we could go to, you know, within a day's flight. <laughs> So in North America, I think that we've kind of fulfilled the bubble. I don't feel that we're going to see any new parks anytime soon. And we're going to start getting rid of older rides, not necessarily unpopular rides, older rides at parks because they're hitting their um, land caps. Even okay. if they do have extra land available, you're going to start seeing parks get rid of rides over the next five to ten years okay um, you know based on new technology based on like you know rmc type things maybe keeping structures redoing because um of changing states of people's you know opinions right and what people expect out of rides i mean we've seen we've seen also you have to look at it's not really a big thing it's not making an impact in the coaster enthusiast industry but i'm sure it's making an impact in the general public reception we've seen several coasters now just in north america go from stand up to floorless and we've got another one doing that in uh i believe it's six flags america in uh just outside washington they're going from stand up to floorless that is you know another movement that we're seeing as well so the repurposing of rides um Exactly. Do you, do you think the latest push I would say that I see is as far as overall parks are concerned, maybe not as much Six Flags and I don't keep my finger on Six Flags as uh, pulse as much as I do other brands. But the biggest thing I see is parks are moving more towards festivals and less towards rides. And we even had that news come out of the Cedar Fair conference call that they were going to build less big and grand rides and focus more on these festivals that are, are paying for their operation. They're paying the money, they're paying the bills. So you can't fault them for trying to run the business. What's, what do you think? Do you think we're heading towards more parks like Epcot where we see Epcot has basically got a festival every weekend of the year. Now, do you think we're headed for that for regional parks? Yes. Okay. Um, it, it makes money rides. Yeah. Rides don't draw people anymore. I mean, they do, but they don't make people drive to a park repeatedly. Festivals do. Right. Look at look at Dollywood, and that's I mean that's an example that I can as far back as I can remember. Dollywood has always had some kind of festival going on, opening the year with Le uh, Festival of Nations. Then you had a little break um, in May, and then you hit Kids Fest or 
um, summer nights or whatever that, that we're spinning it into as you know yeah. time has evolved. Right. Um, and then um, toward the end, end of the summer, they had Dollywood nights, which was uh, where Dollywood stayed open later, which was a big deal that started in like 2005, right after Thunderhead, because Dollywood used to close when I was a kid growing up there. When the sun went down, Dollywood closed. And there was no night rides. Okay. So summer nights was a huge deal. In early fall, you had the Barbecue and Bluegrass Festival, which transitions into the um, Harvest Festival, and then into the Christmas. So of their eight-and-a-half, nine-month operating season, maybe seven weeks were not some kind of festival. That's a good point. And uh, Dollywood was actually the first regional park to figure that out. I, I, I will give you that. That's a that's a definitely a good point. And we've seen even Dollywood expand on that with the wonderful event, uh, Great Pumpkin Luminites, uh, hitting the park now. And people would just love that. Like, I mean, we know that uh, Halloween is sort of a faux pas for the, for the Christian park. And, I mean, I don't want to scare people away by saying Dollywood is a Christian park. But, you know, it is a more religious area and territory. So... You know, they try to avoid Halloween and celebrating Halloween. But Great Pumpkin Luminites has been kind of the fun way to side skirt that and still get a special event out of the September, October, fall season and uh, partner that with the Harvest Festival that you mentioned uh, with more uh, offerings for the family and the kids. And I think that's another thing we see moving forward is the parks are realizing that enthusiasts as much as enthusiasts want to think they're important, looking at UKI fanboys, uh, as much as enthusiasts want to think they're important and they drive the industry, they don't. They don't pay the bills, and, and people don't think about how parks actually lose money on people like you and me because we use our dining pass 60 times a year, and um, you know we just don't make the park money. A general day guest that might come two, three times a year makes the park money. Absolutely. And kind of backing that up and two points. Number one, the park has to remember balance when talking about festivals and rides. You can't do all festivals and just forget to add things because people will stop coming because there's nothing to do other than the festival. Right. So you still have to, you know, add shops and rides and experiences outside of and unconnected to the festival. But that festival keeps people occupied, keeps people off the rides, which make the rides more fun for everyone else. Number two, talking about parks making money. So this 2018, I thought it would be fun just to, for giggles to track like my dining plan at the Cedar Fair parks. Right. I got a total meal cost of 18, like, or sorry, total meal cost of about a dollar fifty per meal after eating all year, and my drink cost was eighteen cents a drink. Um, right. So no, the park does not make money off of me, and you know that's not counting just admission cost. When I went to Cedar Fair Parks sixty nine times total, so no, parks do not make money off of season pass holders. Parks make money off of season pass holders coming and buying and doing experiences. Again, rolling that into the festivals, that kind of thing. Right. And I mean, I think that's what we see. 
like Kings Island's always done it, um, and some other Cedar Fair parks have adopted it and done it as well. Um, the bring a friend tickets. Everybody thinks, oh, that's such a steal. I can bring my friends for $20. All they're doing is really advertising to us or let, help it, using us to help advertise to our friends who may not have a pass. And then you think about those friends coming with us and not, you know, we want to use our meal plan two times a day. And suddenly that friend we bought doesn't have a meal plan. They've got their money back. So they just, just made $26 at least. Right. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Now, uh, a couple more little things on the state of the industry. Just briefly, you don't have to go into it. We haven't seen a whole lot of issues and incidents, even around the world that I've heard of. Um, we didn't see a whole lot last year. What's your opinion on the state of the safety of our existing rides and parks? Safety is in a critical across the board. And a lot of ride manufacturers have stepped up their side of it as well, making it kind of the status quo of dictating how the park has to operate the ride instead of saying, this is how you should operate it. This is how we recommend that you operate it. A lot of parks, and uh, I hate to pick on Intamin just from my work, I, I've been really rolled up in a new Intamin ride recently. Intamin is very specific about how, what, when, and where you do certain things. And I think it's probably a pain in the butt to the park, but it takes a lot of the decision-making and risk analysis out of their hands. They know exactly what activity is safe. They know when it's safe. They know how to do it safely. And Intamin doesn't get a bad rap for doing something because ultimately, if an incident happens, it kind of falls up on the park. But I mean, the news is going to say this roller coaster killed someone. It was made by Intamin. Right. Okay. Um, so probably going to end with this one. One final question. So, I mean, at our at the IAPA trade show, which for those who don't know, that's the trade show that shows off all of the new things, food and, and rides and experiences and festival ideas even now. Um, and Dippin' Dots. And Dippin' Dots. Yes, they gave us Dippin' Dots and a couple other concepts. So um, we've seen at IAPA VR. VR hasn't really taken over the parks. It tried a few years back when we saw Six Flags and even Cedar Point adopt it, but they kind of backpedaled very quickly on VR. Now we're seeing a company, a decent company like Dynamic Attractions, uh, seem to be making more sales on these flying theaters. Uh, we know that Cedar Point said that a dark ride was probably not anywhere in their future, even if it should be. Um, do you think flying theaters have become more affordable? Do you think where do you think we're heading in experiences outside of coasters? Like, are we headed towards these more interactive rides? Are we headed more towards people are just going to buy more of these Zamperlas? Uh, where do you think we're heading overall in, like, the purchasing? What are parks looking at outside of roller coasters? The more you can involve the guests in the, their ride experience, the better they're going to enjoy the ride. So I do believe that more interactivity, more media addition to rides is definitely not going anywhere anytime soon. Not necessarily saying that VR um, 
and not necessarily saying that you know rides with screens are bad but again a balance between the two yeah um, <laughs> don't i guess well, yeah, looking at you in universal sorry right. yeah i mean um, like when every ride has a screen i mean and there's nothing wrong with adding media and adding interactivity to the ride, but the ride should play first, not the media. And, you know, some parks get that backwards. Um, so back to your other question, I do believe that, you know, the time has come that, you know, the flying theater might be a little more economical. It might be able to be scaled down versus you know, the three huge arms like it's soaring. Maybe, right. um, you know, different concepts and scalability that Dynamic has found the ability to do that. Okay, but one quick question on that. The two flying theaters we see coming on the horizon, they are standalone attractions. They are, there's going to be one at the island in Pigeon Forge, which obviously great tourist area, great tourist market, going to definitely always have the crowd flow. And the other on the Las Vegas Strip, basically the same thing, going to see millions of people every day. Do you think a park jumps on this like Disney has and does a flying theater? Do you think a regional park will eventually do that. I mean, I know you can't really predict the future, but do you think a park would be interested in doing something like that? If it fits their overall theme, why not? I mean, I can't speculate whether it they would or would not. Uh, it if if it's their their key demographic. Kind of looking at, you know, Dollywood again, they tore out their um, 4D theater because it was great for a while, but people stopped riding it. So it never fit their, I mean, their key demographic grew out of it. Could I see them going back to something like that at some point? Absolutely. If a ride technology, a ride media, and their key demographic all come together and mesh together to find something that would work, sure. So I guess in short, the answer is maybe. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. And I, I will say, too, that was another just got a, you mentioning that motion theater, those motion theaters like the 4D theaters with the, as I always used to call them, seats that wiggle. Uh, Dollywood was actually one of the last parks to get out of that game. Uh, the Cedar Fair Parks buying Paramount helped Paramount, the old Paramount parks get out of that game. Uh, and I think the biggest thing I always had against the Paramount parks having the movie, which they had that great SpongeBob pickle movie. Um, which I'm sure you saw before. It's uh, my biggest problem with that was always like they didn't have any other movies, and that was kind of a uh, a wholesale purchase for the park. Which I get it; it's cheaper that way instead of an original production for the park. So, like you could go to there was a time back in the day where you could go to Mall of America and see the SpongeBob movie. You could go to any Paramount Park see the SpongeBob movie, and I think even Dollywood at some point had the SpongeBob movie. And it was just like, I want to see something different. I want to see the park have something original. Something like Pandora, something like Soren, which even Disney admitted that Soren was old and they redid the movie. Even if it's not as good as the original, they redid it to try to keep people wanting to ride it before they lost that ridership. And Soren kind of proves my point right there. The key demographic, it, the Soren over the world fits Epcot. People yeah. enjoy the air conditioning. People ride it because it's a cool ride. It, the whole coming together works. And 
you know, SpongeBob, as you said, you could see it everywhere. It was kind of old technology. There was no real want to upgrade to new technology or find a new. So those rides went away. I think that kind of proves like where I'm going with, I guess, with what I, I said. If everything comes together and you find, you know, a meshing, yeah, any part could add it. Um, but it has to, it has to work. You can't just, you know, be the park CEO and it's like, I want to put in this cool flying theater. Okay. But if no one's going to ride it, you're wasting your money. Right. Okay. Um, well, I think that's uh, good. Some good talks today. Uh, thanks for coming along. And uh, we'll talk again soon. I'm sure you, you'll be on several episodes going forward as we go through the season. Even for sure some of our live episodes from some of the coaster events we're going to at the parks together and covering. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, so that was some great insights from Brent joining us along. Again, he's a co-owner of wildgravitytravels.com, the site uh, owned by us. Uh, be sure to tune in again uh, next week when we will hopefully have Brian on from Orlando to talk about his trip to China. If not, we will just be discussing some more news, maybe come up with another top list for you guys to uh, give your thoughts and feedback on. Again, if you want to submit feedback, you can do so via the Anchor.fm app or any of our social pages, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I am Jim. Thanks for listening along, and have a great, safe week ahead, everybody.